0: Welcome to the Beer and a Movie podcast, a podcast from a bunch of beer and movie fans here in Corpus Christi, Texas. My name is Ethan Thompson. I'm employed at an institution of higher education in a
1: professorial capacity. With me is... Carlos. I'm a record store owner, beer drinker, movie lover, and with us as always...
2: Dave. uh, I am employed as a teacher of media studies at a local institution of higher learning. And I've been a craft beer drinker for most of my adult life, and more recently, a home brewer.
0: Today we're going to be talking about uh, a couple of films, as we usually do. The first of which is a new release came out just this week, uh, widely anyway, and that is Isle of Dogs, the latest Wes Anderson movie. And um, our beer, we've got, we're going to have, I picked out two different beers uh, themed with this film. The first one I went as literal as I could, since we're seeing Isle of Dogs, I picked out a uh, beer from Fish Head.
2: Nicely done. And, yes, Very thank you.
0: Sea quench L. So there's a lot of dogs swimming through the sea in this film, and so we're having dogfish sea quench L. Right. So, which I will, uh, will, will note that, as you will tell, this is a can that I'm opening. Mm-hmm. Most of the, the dogfish beer, it does not come in a can, and not only is this a can, but this is a 19.2 fluid ounce can. Ooh. They are, I believe, trying to uh, market this as a beach beer. So this is a session sour, and I will pour a little for everyone, and then we'll talk about it a little bit later. Yeah. So if you uh, smell that, wow, that smells pretty amazing. Doesn't smell like uh, most any typical beer you would think of. It smells you, like
2: the ocean. Smells right. Ocean. I mean, salty, a limey, salty ocean. Limey salt. Right. Yeah. yeah. There, the lime yes. is the lime is unique, but the, but there, there's definitely yeah. that saltiness. Um, yeah, And it's a session
0: sour, which usually, I guess, sours you wouldn't think of something that you'd want to drink a whole lot of, but they're suggesting that you would. 4.9% mm-hmm. here right. with this beer that you'd grab on your way to the beach, maybe. Right. So we'll talk about that in a second, but our film today is Isle of Dogs. Like I said, the latest Wes Anderson movie, and uh, I'm one of those people, I will admit it, whatever Wes Anderson does, I'm I'm going to go see it check it out, he usually has a, a level that uh, of, of quality to them, and uh, perhaps even more so, I know that they're going to fit my particular tastes about music and movies, the kind of stories and idiosyncratic characters and so on, and, and this one is no different. In terms of what it's about, Isle of Dogs comes from uh, the name of uh, this island where Uh, In a dystopian, this is a theme for our last several episodes, it turns out, (laughs) a dystopian near future Japan, Uh, the the mayor of this area has taken the opportunity to banish all dogs to this particular trash island uh, after there's a a kind of dog flu, I think is what they call it. And his um, uh, essentially stepson or a ward that he's in charge of... um, uh, flies out there to try to find his dog and find him in the midst of all this desolation and trash that is everywhere. So the voices in the film are uh, kind of the, the big deal actor-wise, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Bill Murray, as well as a variety of other uh, of kind of standard Wes Anderson uh, actors that he likes to work with. Greta Gerwig is in it as well. And so um, this is uh, what I thought was, uh, a very well realized west anderson type movie i enjoyed it a lot
1: yeah i would agree i mean i thought it was i thought it was really good and really well done um i didn't see fantastic mr fox so as far as like the non-live action it's the only west anderson movie i haven't seen so i don't have that point of reference for this one so for mm-hmm. me this is my first not live action Wes anderson movie that i've seen and yeah i really enjoyed it i
0: I thought it was exactly I, what I thought it was. Called. I have seen *Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox*, and that film, uh, I like both of them. That one was, I would say, shifted towards more of a of a kids' movie uh, in a way that this was like basically a Wes Anderson film, but uh, stop stop motion animation. Which I should mention, I don't maybe I failed to mention that. Um, this was uh, even more fully realized film. I thought is what you get with that you want from a Wes Anderson movie.
2: I, I mean, I think if anything it's kind of darker than most of yeah. Wes Anderson's films, right? I mean, the, you say this one doesn't feel as much like a kid's movie as Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I would agree with that. And I think it really does have to do with the tone. It it just it has a much darker dystopic tone than any other Wes Anderson film I can think of. Um, but to, uh, to perhaps interject a little bit of uh, caution here, I mean... I, I am a little bit troubled with the, some of the basic premise of the film. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So let's describe... And it has been criticized... Um, outside of... Out, outside of the typical right. stuff that people right. say about Wes Anderson movies. is This is an example of like a very Orientalist approach to storytelling where you right. the exoticness of Japan right. is the backdrop for this story.
2: Right, and so, the, yeah, the, and, and you use that term orientalist, and I think, you know, that's one that maybe some people are familiar with, others may not be, but, you know, this is the basic idea, um, or I'm going to make it basic, I think, <laughs> um, that, uh, th- that kind of got launched by uh, this, this cultural critic, Edward Said, uh, way back in the late 70s, where he was saying how we in the West uh, tend to view the Orient, the Eastern world, as being sort of just a backdrop for us to play out our own conflicts, right? So the way that America views the Vietnam War is less about the Vietnamese and how they actually feel about the government and, or anything like that and more about how we experience that, right? So a film about the Vietnam War is more about, you know, anguished young men and how they were sent to war and how they played out these conflicts, and it is that. So you have this film, Wes Anderson has done, where he set it in Japan, Trash Island... Uh, is a place where all these dogs have been exiled, and it's this Japanese city, uh, Megasaki, am I getting that yeah, name, right? Megasaki. Megasaki, um, that, that they've been sort of banned from, or at least it's the mayor of that city who's led this effort. And in doing so, um, has created this exile colony. Now, the exile colony, we understand, because they're being translated into English. There's a little sort of cheeky subtitle at the beginning yeah. of the film that tells us, you know... All the barks in the film have been translated into English. But on the other hand, all of the citizens of Megasaki who speak Japanese are just allowed to speak Japanese untranslated to the English audience. We don't get subtitles. No subtitles. Now, occasionally, we do have a translator who's actually, I think, voiced by Francis McDormand throughout the film, um, who does some of that. So when the mayor is giving a speech... We may be getting rough translation in real time from Francis McDormand's character, but um, but there are a number of scenes that play out, whether it be the boy pilot who makes it to the island and is t- trying to talk to the dogs, um, or the mayor himself, or these other characters, where they're kind of you know doing this gesticulating and yelling and you know whatever, but we don't necessarily know exactly what it is we're saying. We're kind of getting it through pantomime. So again. More about the experience of these westernized dog characters that are essentially yeah, speaking the, in English. That's the
0: thing is not only do they speak in English, but they're Brian Cranston, Edward right. Norton. Right, <laughs> right, right. Their dialect is not in any way
2: Japanese. No, no. There's nothing Japanese about these dogs. But they it are is just, very
1: yeah. textbook Wes Anderson. Yeah. Everything about the way they talk, the things they say, like the cadence of their speech is like very Definitely. Wes Anderson kind Definitely. of stylized right. dialogue,
2: right? So it, it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm of two minds on this one. I really like a lot of what it's doing in terms of because the basic conflict here, right? That you have these, you know, we're, they're animals, but let let's just say this this class of beings that have been exiled and put off on this island for really questionable reasons we come to find out that okay well they're yeah they're all sick and there's this disease spreading but the disease was probably created by the government um that then um they're once they're exiled they're sort of vilified and there's this idea that they're just going to totally eradicate them and uh and that's all coming from this very excuse me totalitarian sort of dictator of a mayor that's uh that's out there it's it's an interesting struggle it's it's a story that actually fits i think some of what at least a lot of people are are, you know sort of concerned about maybe going on in geopolitics these days that there's
0: yeah and i would say you know that one of the things is that um you couldn't simply just i I was thinking about this would it be possible to do this movie and it not be japan Maybe not Japan, but there's no way you could do this and it not be, like, this Asian cultural thing because it's drenched in this, like, samurai culture and imagery, and it very much is tied to that, as well as, like, post-war monster movies and that sensibility, too. Mm -hmm. He really wants to surround that world, make it a part of that world, too. Yeah. Right? It's not just... It doesn't just happen to be... That, that, that he's setting this in this Asian uh, backdrop, you know, like he's done um, Darjeeling Limited in, in India, you
2: know, right. or... which he but, got critiqued for then, right. saying that it's like, it could, and, and again, I, a, a criticism that I take to heart, because that, that's probably my least favorite of his films leading up to this, where it's, yeah, it's about these guys sort of going through their, whatever, quarter, midlife crisis against the backdrop of rural India where they're just kind of like traveling through by train. You know, it doesn't seem to care that much about India. It's just like transplanting these guys to this exotic location so that they can play out their internal strife and, you know, in turmoil. That's not quite... I don't think it's as bad. Yeah, because,
0: I mean, it's not your typical Wes Anderson movie in the sense that it's not about, I don't think, anyway, like those uh whatever 30 something boys men whatever yeah. coming to terms with their father so much right as this you know i mean it is brian Cranston is a dog who doesn't really know <laughs> actually come to think of it right, right?
2: who his family who is who his yeah. family
0: is right. um but there it's 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 a different focus
2: yeah no i mean i i think that's what gets me about it, is that there's there's a really there are some interesting characters here the, among the dogs especially um a lot of really I think, nice moments among them and, and and even with some of the humans. But then, you know, it keeps going back to, okay, <clears throat> excuse me, but we're using Japan as this kind of backdrop for this exotic location yeah. that we can't penetrate because we're not even going to give you the translation of what these people are saying. Right. And then we bring in the Greta Gerwig character who is... I mean, I hate to say it, she is just the classic white savior character, right? I mean, she just comes in and she's sort of spearheading this um she's a, She's a supposedly
0: an exchange student right, in right. the school. And so everyone in the school, you know, that... The It's a little boy, and then she's, like, his prototype who... I guess it's unclear what age she's supposed to be, but it's kind of like that anime standard, you know, kid who's older, wise beyond their years. Right, um, right. You know, maybe she's middle school age, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, who's the one who kind of, like, makes a kind of political movement to change things. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I... Um, on the one hand, I totally see that. I see all that aspect of the exoticness of it, and it's like, oh, this is a my- mysterious place where they would do this bizarre thing. But then at the end, I kind of feel like Japan can kind of stand it. Japan can take it. I, I, and, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's... So she is that character, but the central character is the boy, Right, he's the one that really, in terms of the narrative and how it plays out, he's the real hero that makes the change happen, makes this, this happen.
1: And Part of why you know she could be interpreted as that you know white savior archetype is that because she's the one we can understand, you know. So we probably, as an American audience, connect more with her, the person who talks and we hear right. in ways that we can interpret. But uh, but I, I would agree that I would agree that Atari is the is the main i think the main character in terms of all of it and you know i I remember when it got its like very first select city release, seeing some articles that said things like you know anderson guilty of cultural appropriation et cetera mm-hmm. et cetera and I think that you know i I, yeah, I understand it to yes, a certain extent because that's what
0: I mean yeah. he's definitely definitely but cultural I think there, appropriation I think there's a
1: difference between appropriation and admiration though because I mean he obviously didn't just like say okay this is where it is I don't really give a shit about anything else like there are like traditional Japanese elements to the music and you know, it doesn't seem like he haphazardly said it there. It seems like he very intentionally said it there, and like did his due, gi- well, due diligence to like respect the you know the culture. It's not like a big trouble in Little China type of situation where it's just <laughs> drenched in like these you know pretty racist stereotypes and stuff like that.
2: Right, and I, and and I will agree with that. I think what you have is a filmmaker who's clearly incredibly. Um, detail oriented, right? I mean, he is uh, perhaps one of our most anal retentive filmmakers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in terms very, of like very he just his attention to detail is just beyond reproach, and he clearly loves some of Japanese cinema. I mean, he has seen samurai films. He, Akira Kurosawa gets directly referenced in various ways. Yeah. Some of his uh, film scores are used, right? Seven Samurai shows up, some yeah. other. Connie right. um, Chikawa, the filmmaker. Well, yeah. There, yeah. There's some references to like shots from his film. I mean, there's definitely... Uh, he is steeped in at least a version of Japanese film that he loves, and I think this was an intentional... Um, Tribute to to that, I think, and in that sense, I I think that there's something really great about it, and it's like okay, and 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 perhaps he's even bringing attention to um, some classic Japanese cinema that some people may not have awareness of, and, and he'll get them into it. Yeah, I'm I just, sure he will, right? And it's just that okay, but then he's kind of using it as no. His there's device. some problems there, and there's there's
0: some problems. Um, I think you can even kind of um, you can rationalize away this the this white, Greta Gehrig's white savior character um, and the reason that she happens to be this American there so that we can hear her articulate all these things and say them. But that's kind of a di- direct result of him having made this decision that is the most problematic, perhaps, for me, of that, we'll, we can never understand the Japanese. Right. right? That we're never going to be able to understand them. They're this mysterious... People and that and that plays out through the language in the film, and you know, it makes sense for that character, you know, to be this American who then we can understand, and then that also brings in this baggage of her being this white savior type character.
1: And I'm, you know, I'm almost certain that Anderson's thought process, probably, you know, probably when deciding that the Japanese language wouldn't be subtitled or anything, was to, you know pay respects and, like, honor and not try to anglicize everything about the, you know, Japanese characters. Well, fair enough. Which, you know... Yeah. Though that may... You know, I would put money on that being his intention behind that choice. You know, as you just said, appears to have possibly backfired on him a little bit. Um, but, of course, you know, I am... Incredibly biased in that I love everything Wes Anderson has done. So you know, <laughs> uh,
2: well, it's and it's a great looking film. I mean, I love the style of animation. Yeah, I, I loved it with Fantastic Mr. Fox. It is stop motion, but it's really it's stop motion with such. I mean, just like the the fur on the creature, you can yeah. just like see yeah, every detailed. little fiber, every little, yeah. and it, and just the way things are staged. The mise en scène. I mean, they're on this trash island, and all the little bits of debris that are around, and the food scraps, and I mean, it's just as fake an environment as it is. It feels so lived in and real. It's it's kind of crazy. I mean, I was sitting there watching it, and it was just like totally, um, yeah. this, this immersive, yeah, yeah, yeah. This great sight to behold, and and the score, the score was incredible.
1: Yeah, great score. i I mean
2: some of it original but again borrowing from some of these older japanese
1: films which he did in darjeeling limited as well
2: right with with some older indian films Mm -hmm. and then um you know bringing in some odd elements too i mean the the um the west coast pop art experimental band song there that sort of plays throughout the film as kind of this recurring theme of how would you describe it like sort of desolation and, and sadness, but longing, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a lovely song, and it hits that point of, uh, you know, sort of bringing forgotten pop music back into public consciousness that, uh, that Anderson
1: always does. Yeah, he's known for. Him.
0: Okay, so we've, uh, we've, I think we've done a, a, a pretty good job here of, of, of recognizing the problematic elements of of this, of this film. Uh, in terms of uh, sort of orientalism, um, however, I will I will say one thing that I do really like about the film is that I think it's very effective and it makes sense as a stop motion animation film. I never I never felt in the film like oh I wish they would try to do something like this. Instead, I was constantly thinking wow, that looks really cool. That works really well to have those puppets or whatever they are. Yeah, right, they're a kind of puppet. Yeah. Used in that way to tell this story. It makes sense for stop-motion animation. And the design all works together and it tells a story and it's visually compelling in a way that all really worked for me. It also had, like you said, a good soundtrack, including some old popular music tunes. And maybe in a later, later segment, we'll talk a little bit about Wes Anderson and, and his soundtracks, um, I would not say the same thing for the, the next film that we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but Anomaly- before we get there, before we yeah. get there, let's, before let's... we get there, uh, let's let's revisit this beer, the
2: Sequenchel L from uh, Dogfish Head. I love this thing. This is just, I mean, session sour as a concept is something that a few years ago I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. Um, now it's a little more common. But the idea of something that is relatively light, low in alcohol, um, a little sour, a little tart. There, it's not like we're not talking about like mouth puckering kind of crazy. Like I'm sucking on a lemon, (laughs) but but it does have you know as it says there's there's some lime juice in there, some lime peel. Um, It's just very, I think. You know, it's like uh, I, I compare it to like drinking a lemonade or something. They, on a they hot
0: day. and they, uh, Dogfish Head, of course, uh, man. They're they're one of the biggest and old oldest uh, craft beer makers, and one of the most important companies in terms of uh, the different things that they've tried. Of course, they're variety of IPAs, 120 minutes, 60 minutes, 75 minutes, 95 minutes, however many minutes. They're they're (laughs) continuous hopping, you know, that's kind of their thing that they invented, or one of them anyway. They have a great website uh, for your beer person, and the way that they describe this beer is a mashup of a Kolsch, a Gosa, and a Berliner Weisse. And I I thought it was kind of funny. They tell you, uh, they've got guides for all their different beer, both how you should enjoy it, what kind of uh, glass you should drink it out of. What kind of cheese, what kind of food, and then also they've got description of the experience. (laughs) So if you're unsure how to talk to tell people about this, you know, I could tell you that even though I haven't tasted this, it's amazingly tart. (laughs) (laughs) Refreshing crisp flavors of lime. Uh uh, Uh-huh. deepy deeper slight bitter of black lime. Touch of salt on the tongue. Did you get that?
1: I did, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And then a bit of malt sweetness in the finish.
2: What, what do you say, Carlos? Is that, is I mean, it accurate. Yeah. I would yeah. say, yeah.
1: Um, did I did I like this beer? Yes. Did I love it? Not really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're, are,
2: do, generally, do you like sours? I, no, we have not not okay. as a
1: rule. No. Um, okay. Uh, and you know, that being said, I don't. I wouldn't say that I have a ton of experience with sours. Right, so right. When I just the word sour to me is a little off putting. I've never enjoyed that as a you know mm-hmm. sensation or whatever. But uh, so I tend to not reach for them uh, right. if I see a sour on the shelf at the grocery store or whatever. But, you know, enjoyable.
0: I, I, I think that th- these beers are interesting. Like I've, thought, I've wondered, you know, for someone who doesn't, who doesn't think that they like beer but would prefer to, like, heaven forbid, drink a, like, hard lemonade or something <laughs> like that, like, <laughs> that maybe this would be a way to convert them to beers, yeah. <laughs> that this would be a transitional.
1: Yeah, beer. a much better option to Mike's hard would be the sequench ale. Uh, yeah, if you find yourself reaching for a Mike's Hard, stop. <laughs> find the sequench ale. Now that said, you, you
2: might need to add some syrup to it. I don't know; it, <laughs> it doesn't have the sweetness. But yeah, but yeah I, I don't I mean, know. I
1: thought it was I, the sweetness of the lime for me was okay, a little bit in there. Yeah, no, yeah. I
2: mean, there it's it's in there. I just don't know to the level that you get yeah, with a no, hard it's, lemonade. It's at least it's been a while since I've had one. But my experience is that that is really. Sugar yeah, forward, no, and then we go with the. But yeah, I think you know the, these beers. This could be a nice gateway sour for somebody. I think if somebody is generally thinking or gateway beer in general, I don't really like beer, but I do like you know yeah. tart things, lemonades, limeades, whatever, or even hard versions of those. For give sure. this a shot. Yeah, yeah,
1: it was good. I enjoyed it. I don't. I'm glad that I have tried it, but I don't know if I'll ever find myself going for it again but Fair all
0: right so then uh, when we come back we're going to pour uh, a japanese beer and then talk about a film that doesn't have anything to do with japan at all but it is stop motion and it's on anomalisa all right so um when i went to our local liquor store and beer purveyor i knowing that we were watching uh isle of dogs and talking about how it uh Very much embraces slash appropriates Japanese culture. I try to find not only a beer made in Japan, but the most Japanese um, styled beer. And what I have got here is Hitachino Nest Real Ginger Brew. And um, this, I looked up the brewery, and they actually uh, were they they were a, a sake brewery of course and they started out in 1823 so they have been in wow. business for a long time but japan had very strict laws about um about beer making and so this company did not start making beer until 1996 so anyway uh um, they're kind of like they are the japanese craft beer at
3: beer, least right? that we, like, yeah, that that we that get we have that we available here yeah right yeah
0: yeah and so what i've got is the real ginger l and i'm gonna open this up And we've been having a conversation here because I will admit that there was a little bit of dust on this bottle that I got uh, off the shelf in our beer place. And we're not sure, but we're looking at the label, and it's got some numbers on there. It says G.13.04, and we hope that that doesn't mean it expired five years ago. But it probably does. It probably (laughs) does mean that. Um, All the beers that they had were like 13, 14, 15, so I convinced myself that it wasn't really that but um, we're about to find out um it's 8% alcohol so regardless i mean maybe it will have preserved itself well again this is a beer brewed with ginger
2: ooh ooh wow I was <laughs> not expecting that uh this is a murky it's very murky that murky, looks like a beer that's been sitting gosh, around gosh what is that like it's sort of like oh brownish, god i don't know about that red. guys <laughs> Whew. Yeah. What Whew. is that? What, what is the aroma you're getting? It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of- Five-year-old ginger beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, de- I'm getting no ginger. Are you
1: getting ginger? I was getting a little ginger. Yeah. You are? Yeah. I'm, not,
2: I'm not really getting ginger on the nose, but I'm getting like multi-caramel, uh, almost like a molasses cookie sort of thing. All right.
0: I can't wait. Go ahead and taste it. We've got to tell people what it tastes like.
2: Oh, my. Oh, geez. Okay. That's not but good. But th- we're taking it out of order here, though, if we go with the. I
0: know, but beer. I just wanted to yeah. know. I couldn't <laughs> oh hold. I couldn't God. wait. And I'm not drinking this. It looks terrible. I'm sorry, folks. Stay away from the five-year-old uh, Hidachina ginger <gasps> <laughs> beer. I oh might have to return that.
1: Don't hate it. That
2: is... You don't, don't hate, hate it. it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's like there's something like... I don't know. Like almost... <laughs> dirty, earthy. Yeah, like, it's
1: very earthy. It shouldn't... <laughs> but but I don't think that. it should be that way. That's not... <laughs> I'm not here to comment on whether it should or should not be anyway. What I'm here to say is how it is. All right. It's kind of...
2: Okay, maybe that's what... We need to take All things right. for what they are and not judge them based on what we think they should be. Okay, fair enough.
1: Expectation this, management, It my says,
2: uh, please enjoy the balance of the ginger flavor and the taste of malt. But it's saying... Spot brewed on, using like fresh, fragrant ginger. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I did I really neglect to getting... say
0: that uh, the label on this bottle I'm holding is radically different from the label on the website. <laughs> you know,
2: actually, you know what it smells like more? It's its more like a barley wine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too.
0: Yeah. Um, because it been uh, sm- a very aged barley wine.
1: <laughs> I don't mean to I be mean, insensitive, but the way the, the nose that I'm getting kind of, you know, if I were to order some like pot stickers as like an appetizer. The Hmm. combination of the pot stickers, like the soy sauce or whatever sauce it's sort of getting that kind of smell.
2: All right. Well, I think we ought to talk I, about. I think nomalisa. maybe there is a soy element in there. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting the soy sauce thing that you're talking yeah. about, which I which I tend to get with heavier. But anyway, yes. hopefully
0: we'll talk about the film, and no <laughs> one will have to run away from the table because they're sick. At oh, their I stomachs. don't think I don't
2: think it's going to make us sick. It's yeah, just... <laughs> and yeah,
0: and, and we'll revisit and see how well it sits. Our, our engineer Seth is, is yeah uh, you, is, wafting is this. And this is definitely getting passed around. <laughs> it's
2: intrigued. That got, got me up. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: So Anomalisa so here, right? Yeah. Was, Anomalisa. Yeah. Yeah, so Charlie I'm Kaufman. Lisa, Char- Charlie Kaufman. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, I, I've i been tasked with summarizing this film, uh, and it is a, again, stop-motion animation film and directed by Charlie Kaufman. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it because first I want to ask Carlos, this was your suggestion that we do this film. Why did you suggest this film? I just want to ask that.
1: Okay, well... Why did
0: it come to mind for you?
1: Because, I mean, A, because it's a... Somewhat well-known American stop-motion animation film, which right. I feel like we How know many we of those don't. Are there? Well, more specifically, a more adult. I mean, this one right. is very adult, but the in comparison to Isle of Dogs, which is a little more adult than what you would expect from a stop-motion animation film. And I mean, you know, it was there. Are probably three reasons that I recommended it. One, I love Charlie Kaufman and most of the things he's done. Um,
2: Which let's let's say a little bit about Charlie. Yeah, Coffin, Charlie Kaufman are...
1: adaptation, Eternal. He wrote Sunshine adaptation, of the wrote Smiles Eternal, yeah. being he John Malkovich. He wrote and directed Synecdoche, New York. Being John Malkovich was him. Uh, a very impressive yeah, list of crea- writing and credits. very creative. For, very very creative. creative. Very, you know, tends to of, go with very heady, complex yes, kind of
2: concepts. Very that that sound like what somebody might come up with, and like a crazy moment of inspiration but then like he actually sees them through. Yeah. An adaptation yeah. I would say is one of my favorite films.
1: It's such a good film and I think that that movie along with maybe, you know, two or three other films really showcases the talent that Nicolas Cage can have <laughs> yeah. put him in the right role. And it's just it's just good like Right. P- pretty much you know with the exception of some of the you know kind of connotation and baggage of the fandom that comes with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind like all of his movies are just straight they're just straight up good and watchable and rewatchable and interesting and have unique he's one of the most unique, I think, writers and uh people working in film. So
0: but, so that's why you suggested it and now we're here to and see I've, if he delivered. And
1: I've been wanting to see it for a while too and yeah. I just had it. And it was also nominated for Best Animated Feature at the at the Oscars, I think in two thousand sixteen was the yeah. First nominated. Yeah. So it seemed nice. to have, you know, Solid credentials. Mm-hmm. The reviews I read were good. Uh, the film itself is I okay. <laughs> and it's uh, this is
0: uh, this is streaming on Prime, so it's an streaming easy on one Prime. to and, to check out. And
1: also, uh, you know, I thought that the fact that uh, Mondo had recently come out with a very you know elaborate sound vinyl soundtrack release for this movie also kind of gave it a little bit of clout All as right. well. Well, that
0: that boggles my mind. I mean, um,
1: they the the. Cover is a fold-out, like, diorama of, like, the bed from his hotel. Like, it is very elaborate, this thing. this Somebody put a lot of work into releasing this soundtrack. So the fact that yeah. all of those credentials and that together, I was like, well, there's got to be something going on here. Yeah. I need to see it.
0: Well, so the the story uh, is it opens up with this man who's, I don't know, uh, late 50s probably, uh, flying on an airplane, going into a uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. I don't know it, if I would
1: place him in that... Quite
0: that old. Oh but well, you're not in your forties. That's true. Probably, probably
2: <laughs> at least late forties. Yeah, yes. at least, at yeah.
0: Least. Uh, and uh, and and he has some strange. There's something weird going on. You notice right away with when people talk to him, whatever gender they are, they all sound the same. They sound like the same man. He hears and they everyone. are the same man. Yes, <laughs> they are all voiced by the same actor, uh, Tom, Tom Noonan. Noonan. Yeah. Uh, so he goes into the city and then. Um, He reconnects, checks in, reconnects with someone he had a past relationship with, and then... Does not go well. Doesn't go well, (laughs) uh, meets a couple other women. We find out he's essentially a kind of like a motive... He's an expert in customer service and that he's written a book about it that's very well known, and he's there to give a speech on customer service. And so the film is just really this one day uh, or two days, I guess, between him flying into this, this city... Uh, What happens with him there, with the people that he meets, and then returning uh, to his house. Um, And his family. And his family. And I've got ten reasons why I I think this movie was terrible.
1: (laughs) Actual ten reasons?
0: Actual ten numbered reasons why I think this movie is terrible.
1: Okay, well, let's take and it you one know what? one.
0: And I will open it by saying, and this did not even make the list because my list is sp- specific, I would not have made it through this film if we were not talking about it. <laughs> I had to try really hard to make it through watching this yes, film. Yes, I,
1: because I did see you mid-viewing yeah, of this. Yeah, I did 45 said,
0: minutes one day, 45 minutes And the you next. said you
1: had stopped, and you're like, well, I'm going to try to finish it. And I believe one of the things you said was, Seemed like it was about to get real weird, so I figured it was a good time to stop or something. Or uh, real awkward, it, awkward because like I that. was watching it yeah. in
0: uh, in a. Uh I was watching it in the gym, and oh, that's that's right. Yeah, that's and said. and there is a uh, a sex scene, a puppet sex scene. Yep. And I will say it that sure one. Is. Of, <laughs> I'll, I'll skip ahead. One of my reasons is that the puppet sex is substandard in this. Uh, there's much better puppet sex in Team America: World Police uh, okay. or Meet the Feebles, just to name two off the top of my head. Okay. Much more entertaining <laughs> puppet sex in those two films. Okay.
1: So what number is that on your list?
0: That was number. Eight.
1: Okay, number eight. So let's go, and these let's are go to number one and let's number, start there. And and, in
0: chronological order. Okay. These are my reasons. In the reasons order of which from, they happen in the From film. which the, the film begins.
1: Okay, well, number one. He's
0: flying in. He's looking out the window. There's a plane out there. He looks at it. It goes behind a cloud. It comes out. He looks again. It goes behind a cloud. It doesn't come out. The plane disappeared.
1: Are you sure that wasn't his plane?
0: No, that wasn't his plane. Okay. He, he The guy ta- is sitting next to him says, hey, do you see that plane over there? Um, and he's watching it. Nothing else. It's just a tease. Okay. It's one of the many points in this film that I thought it was going to get interesting, and it did not. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. So number two. So, well, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we're never going to get
0: through this, Carlos. If you don't let me keep <laughs> going.
1: I have a rebuttal for number one,
0: though. Well, we'll just wait till you hear everything. <laughs> okay. Two, their faces. It's very clear these are puppets, right? We see the joints sure, on them, yeah. and yep. they. They show us that. It seems like, okay, they're going to play with that somehow, like the form is going to be self-conscious about it. Mm-hmm. It only comes it only comes into play one time one when time. his face falls off. Yes. And Never I, again. And
1: I agree that I wish they would have expanded and gotten into that more. I agree with that point. All
0: right. Number three, he has this old flame that we've been in, in flashbacks that he left, and we don't know why, except that it becomes clear as things go on that he has this condition where everyone starts just to sound the same to him, where he loses love with people. So he meets up with her again in a hotel. She still there's no spark there. She still sounds like everyone else does. Yeah. He goes ahead and decides he wants to try to seduce her and have you know and make things happen with her. Never explains why. No reason why he would want to do that. Nothing in his character that suggests he would be he would be prompted to try to 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 do that with someone that sounds the same as everyone else. The rest of the film, if someone sounds the same, he doesn't want anything to do with them.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay.
0: Um, all right. My next thing. Nothing interesting in this film happens until an hour in. An hour into this film, it seems like it gets really... I'm skipping over, like, the vast majority of the film, which is (laughs) him trying to seduce one of two women.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, Nothing interesting happens until an hour in where he has this dream, and all of a sudden the manager of the hotel wants him to come down to the basement and he drives this golf cart and it seems like oh this is Charlie <laughs> yeah. Kaufman this is kind of like that the building that has a half floor this is weird this is going to get interesting cuz the manager and then says he lot- yeah. and then it was over it was just a dream yeah. um so okay, that was number on. 4 number 5 hold on but
1: before you go to the next one i want to say two things one i Today, this afternoon, have realized that you don't particularly care for a slow burn. Uh, (laughs) So I will not recommend a movie like that. And two, I just want everybody that's listening at home to know... That Ethan is staring me dead in the eyes <laughs> as he recites all of these reasons. It seems you, very absurd. There's as no me. one else sitting across from me. Hey, it th- would be I'm gonna, I'm that is jump- the
2: hot seat. Yeah, I'm I'm letting Ethan vent here, but but I ha- I have some defenses here okay. too. Oh, you I, do? No, okay. I don't, I'm not. I'm not on the hate okay. wagon. for right. uh, I hated police, this or. movie. Okay. Um, but
0: but you know why though? Is this Charlie Kaufman? I have to wait an hour for something interesting to happen in a Charlie Kaufman film?
2: Yeah.
1: Come
0: funny. on! I expect so much more.
1: Okay, um, I would say interesting things happen before Nothing else interesting
0: on. happens after that hour. Nothing else. Th- okay, number six, there's no reason why. There's no explanation of why he has this condition. There's no character development oh. with him. Mm-hmm.
2: All right? Okay. All right, keep going. Number seven,
0: <laughs> it is basically one long, drawn-out seduction scene in this hotel bar. Him and the two women. That is the majority of the film, and then it goes up no. to the hotel room, and it's him continuing... If you do it minute-wise, I guarantee you, <laughs> that is the majority of the film. Can okay. All right, the listeners out there, substandard-
1: calculate those minutes,
0: please. <laughs> yeah, um, right. post and, that on Facebook, and these guys will pay Tweet you to, ha- to suffer through doing so. <laughs> uh, okay, we already talked about substandard puppet sex. Yeah. Uh, number nine, <laughs> you, this have, is, you have high. How about this? <laughs> how about this? We. This is an inter- an interesting thing in this film is that he his son wants him to give him a present, and so he goes right. to a gift shop, which is a sex. Toy, that is a toy recommended shop.
1: to him by, right
0: he goes to this toy shop which is a sex toy shop yeah and he ends up buying this antique asian again uh tie into <laughs> uh, to isle of dogs this uh antique japanese sex doll of some sort
1: yes yeah, very bizarre we
0: don't know that he's bought it until the end of the film when he comes home and mm-hmm. that this is the he thing yeah, he right. bought this first Son, he gives it to his son yeah then we never see, once he's at home, it never shows us like what this weird antique sex doll is doing. But we it's hear disgust. it talking. It's disgust, and it says it looks like semen's coming out of it. Yeah. All right, this gets to. Do you want to see that? Yes. Okay. I do. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying with. Isle of Dogs, it uses, it's got a puppet, it's doing puppets, you show us, you can do things with puppets that you can't do with real people. This is a great example of that. If it's doing some obscene
1: thing, yeah.
0: show it to us. I was Don't totally talk fine with about. that
1: happening off camera. I All was right. not upset about that.
0: So, the bottom line for me is you this got... This is number 10. Number 10 is okay. summary. Charlie Kaufman is math. Charlie Kaufman plus puppets equals shameful letdown. Because no. it did not... Okay. It promised, and it could have been so interesting, and instead it was just like a little character sketch. Eh.
1: Now, one thing I will say to your point is that I do agree it did not reach its full potential. I think that there were some underdeveloped things, like for instance, the when his face pops off, and you can tell that everyone's a puppet, as you can see the seams and the like puppetry and yeah. everything like that. I think I I did want more from that. I will agree with that. Do I think it was a shameful letdown? No. Did <laughs> I, I mean was it? painfully awkward at times yes um but not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination yeah
2: I, I, I'm, I'm with carlos on this one i mean mm-hmm. I, in fact i i was i would almost say enthusiastically endorse this film Could you, mm-hmm. are okay. you serious now now not for every <laughs> i i think if for, i told not,
0: anyone to watch this film they would be like why would you make me sit through that, that not was... for
2: every viewer i think okay anybody who i know i think what Carlos said earlier, it is a slow burn film. It is yes. not something that you can go... In that You talked about the first hour. I don't know if that's quite... I would say maybe it was more like 45 minutes, but either way... No, I timed it. I looked at the machine.
0: It was one hour and six minutes, one hour, two minutes when that happened. Okay, all yeah. right.
2: Well, well, when what happened? <laughs> when what happened? When he has the dream. Okay, oh, no. so I think it got interesting when he goes to the hotel bar uh, and when he said that. Okay. I mean, I think that there's stuff that happens before then. There's like a long buildup to that, but so to me... It's setting that kind of... I mean, it's got to get you into the drudgery of this man's existence. Like, you, this is not about a character who lives an action-packed life. I mean, this is about a typical human being, puppet, human being who is just so bored with his own existence that he's projecting that boredom onto everybody else around him. He's, t- To me, he is judging everybody for his own failings as a person to find things that interest him in life. That, that's how I started reading the film. And then once he hears this different voice, you know, the, the character um, that Jennifer Jason Leigh voices, then, you know, it seems to awaken this thing in him and he gets very interested and he gets very excited. And then the film kind of picks up in its pacing because he picks up in his pace. This is a film about this character. It's Except
0: not- that he's sitting there having breakfast with her Mm-hmm. And you see what an a-hole he really is. Oh, yeah. No, he's and not he's, a redeemer. And, no, and he's not, but that's why I don't get it as like oh, like an everyman suffering type thing. Because I think this guy is distinctively not a good person. And is right. a, probably yeah. a serial philanderer, For and sure. he f- goes, yeah. he flies all over the country, and doing this, like he has a way to go about trying to pick up, you know, women who have read his book, yeah. And so when he has sex with her, and he's so excited, and they're going to have this life together, and then he gets focused on how she eats, and yeah. all these things start annoying yeah. him. You know, so. I, I hear what you are saying, but I never liked him enough as a character to find this redemptive or hard so to care about his feelings I think this this overall. is where
1: the Charlie Kaufman-esque-ness of it comes yeah. in, is that it's not about a character that you're supposed to like and you're not supposed to like, see him change and then him redeem himself right. at the end. It's, what it is is it's a story about somebody who is profoundly unhappy with their life, and thinks that somebody else is going to be able to fix that. Right. And thinks that the answer lies in someone else, in some new romantic partner, and some new whatever, when ultimately at its core it's about a person that's unhappy with themselves and won't like realize that and do anything about it other than just real.
2: Not in the sense that we think of a lot of antiheroes. We're used to Walter White's and Tony Sopranos who are brash, or become brash, brazen, kind of angry dudes who lash out violently and treat people. He is a mild-mannered, who seems on the surface superficially really nice guy. I mean, you notice how many times, like, even when he's criticizing her at breakfast, he's like, oh, you know, like could you not shoot with your mouth? Okay, but no, that's okay. That's okay. You know, like he, he's like constantly interjecting criticism and stuff, but doing so in this like soft, mild-mannered way that makes it seem like, oh, that's fine. You know, that's okay. But it's not. I mean, he that, that's what I think is one of the, the, a mark of a Charlie Common film, a character unlike any character I've quite seen. But
0: if they're, but it, okay, but for me, where I am as, where I sit as a film goer mm-hmm. is if it's going to be a character that I don't really like... It maybe isn't that redemptive, and isn't going to be, then let him let something interesting happen to him for God's sake. Right. And that's what was missing for me. Yeah. So like Charlie Kaufman as a character in adaptation is kind of like that. Yeah. Hella interesting stuff happens in that film. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And so for this one, I was like, when it took that turn and. He is having that dream and driving that golf cart. I thought, oh, okay, so it's taken a long time, but now some this is really going to get interesting because he's going to be put in these weird situations where he's not used to, and he's going to have to figure out, no. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I'm, and I'm all for like not liking the people that are in movies that I watch. I don't, I'm not someone that wants to like the people in them,
3: mm-hmm. but
0: I want to be able to somehow understand where they're coming from and empathi- empathize with them in that sense. Yeah, um, and I do I am I guess ultimately like that screenwriting instructor in adaptations like <laughs> Brian where's Cox the story Right. people don't yeah life sucks okay tell us a damn story yeah, yeah and I think this
1: is the exact opposite of that insofar as that it's not trying to craft like a very exciting and compelling narrative it is a snapshot in a day of this guy's life where you know albeit probably more happens in that one day than in most of his other days but it's really about just how mundane somebody's life yeah. can be in, like, the world that we live in now. Well,
2: and I think this gets to some films, and this is why I think what you said, Ethan, about, like, I wouldn't recommend this, or if I recommended this film to somebody, I would expect them to hate me or so You know, like, I, I get that, and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody as, like, hey, you're having a date night, go see Anomalisa, yeah, or hey, no. you're, you want to go, like, take a load off? Go see an Anna Lisa. This is to put a load on. Yeah. This movie is and where and I where I do somewhat disagree with you about like I need a, I could kind of empathize with him to some extent but it made made me sort of disgusted with myself. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> when you saw when I could yeah. see like glimmers yeah. of oh yeah I've been in conversations like that where like the person I thought was sort of interesting initially stops being interesting and then it's like oh how do I disengage from this conversation I mean have you ever been to like a cocktail party oh, or something like sure. that where it's like and I felt like that breakfast scene he's kind of going through that now I I have not had like the one night stand version of that where they but I've had like the smaller like less lower stakes version of it where I hadn't had some elaborate plan to go off and you know marry this person where I've had to, like, disengage with them. is like, oh, yeah, this is like... It's less about them being uninteresting and more about me just not willing to put myself into it anymore and what, think about what it. Do you th- what do you think
0: the film gained by being stop-motion animation instead of live action? It
2: allowed that whole voice thing to work. Yeah. That, which is okay. where I think the connection between this and Isle of Dogs is sort of interesting, right? That yeah. the yeah. way that we use these different voices that are voicing these characters, right? To have these dog characters voiced by these sort of, like, every man... Well, not every man, but, like, sort of, like, American, well-known actors' voices. And then to have the Japanese characters voiced by Japanese voice actors who are doing somewhat, I don't want to say stereotypical, but, you know, like... No, it is. Like, it's supposed to sound like... Yeah, like rapid-fire samurai film (laughs) talk or something. You know, that, that makes this like distinct kind of contrast between these two sets of characters. Similarly, in this film, you have David Thulis as the voice of the writer. I can't remember the character's name. Is it Michael? Yeah. Um, who is, you know, doing that. You have everybody else voiced by Tom Noonan, who you, you mentioned before, and that becomes this sameness against which he's kind of contrasted by. And then finally, you get this, and if you did that with actors you i mean you'd have to do it by having them heavy sort of adr and
1: it would be weird now and interestingly
2: not, and this maybe we'll do this film on a, an episode i did see the trailer before isle of dogs for this new film uh directed by boots riley with lakeith david as the star i can't remember the oh, name of it but yes. this is he's like a black sorry telemarketer. for bothering you sorry for bothering or, you, or sorry
1: to bother you right
2: he's a black telemarketer but he has a really good white voice and it, huh. it's see, I think they're actually having, I don't know for sure, but I think it's like a white voice actor speaking and then like he's it. like yeah. pantomiming his, his mouth. It looks moving. good though. So, it, so I guess you can do it with live action or but we'll, it's we'll di- see But it it's can. very difficult. But it's, uh, but yeah, I'm sure it was quite a feat to pull off. So that's uh, where, all right. I, that's where I think it
0: has. Well, I will say crazy. that I found, um, this conversation more <laughs> enjoyable than watching the actual <laughs> film. Fair and enough. I, I got more out of it. I still would not recommend this to anyone.
2: Well, on that, so let's let's talk about recommendations. Then. What
0: about the beer? Do you have any thoughts as it sat? In your well, seat? I think Carlos is still drinking let's, his.
1: Let, let's not talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's an somewhere? there's an interesting sediment that it has uh, I've become aware yeah, of Yeah, as yeah. as the glass has gotten less and less full. Yeah, cool and I
2: mean, I feel like this is sadly uh, not so much about the beer or the brewery. It's, it's just old beer. It's been sitting on the shelf too long. This is. We're not going to call out where i bought this from no this no no not, not not necessary but the point is if you're gonna have and i've had other i don't think i've had the ginger but i've had other Hitachino beers that have been very good
0: yeah i was tempted to get their their ipa and see how that would compare but it too
2: seemed like it might be a couple years old yeah so um don't tr- age
1: this one if you get any one no right and there you go it and
2: it, good <laughs> good to know right no, nobody wants to sit on this one um, but but going back through where we had the, uh, you know, our, our first film, Isle yeah. of Dogs, wh- where did we end up? Do people feel like this is one that people should get out and see?
1: I think everybody should see every Wes Anderson movie, okay. so yes.
0: I think uh, if you don't like Wes Anderson mo- movies, oh, you're going to hate, hate this, this, yeah. you'll hate this <laughs> film. True. If right. you do like them, I think it's worth seeing. I think that the critical conversation we had about Orientalism and its kind of othering Japan in this is relevant, and it's something to think about. Uh, but it, it it doesn't ruin the experience of the film for me because I think ultimately it is coming out of a, a kind of homage. And it is a, appropriating this culture, but it's it's not just a one-way street. I think that, that it's, it's well
2: done. Yeah. And, and I'll go ahead and say, I mean, I, I also think it's a film that if you like Wes Anderson, certainly if you like Fantastic Mr. Fox, visually... And, and from a character standpoint, especially those who are voiced by American actors, I think you're going to enjoy this film um, but but I do think you need to keep that stuff in mind um, that, that we were talking about just the way that Japan is kind of used in this film is, is being somewhat problematic. Um, the beer that you poured for us Ethan yes the, the sequence I really love that. I will definitely that's on my list of beers to uh, bring to the beach this summer. I don't know I know Carlos has already kind of rendered his judgment.
1: You won't catch me at the beach this summer, so that's not a thing for yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. Uh,
2: Maybe at a pool
0: or something.
1: Mm, no. Probably not a pool either. <laughs> okay. Um, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. And and I, and I would say that on the topic of Wes Anderson, there is a, an Australian singer-songwriter named Alex Leahy that has a song called Wes Anderson uh, that is very good if you like bummer pop. <laughs> somewhat, somewhat unrelated but you know bummer pop happy sad music if that's your thing go well, check that speaking
2: song out of, speaking of bummers Anomalisa I know, <laughs> I know Ethan's gonna tell us that, uh, that he, he would recommend nobody ever see this film um, I on the other hand if it wasn't already apparent do feel like this is a film worth checking out again Nothing that's gonna uplift you, something that's gonna make you yeah. feel a little icky, probably a little bit sad about being human and and our inability to relate to one another sometimes on a good level. But um but I think a worthwhile exercise.
1: Yeah, I would I would say that if you're a Charlie Kaufman fan or a fan of movies that don't necessarily tie up nicely with a happy ending or anything like that, then yeah, this is a very interesting kind of character study and examination of the modern man and the state thereof right. um so yeah i would i would recommend it to some people not to others just the same way you wouldn't recommend you wouldn't recommend like a lars von Trier movie to everybody right uh but yeah if that sounds like your thing you should I, i'd say you should watch and if you have amazon prime you, you know okay. it comes with your subscription anyway you might as well
0: okay, okay. so though to get back to something that i do like uh wes anderson soundtracks for Absolutely. all his films, I like them, some more so than others. Uh, what are what are your favorites?
2: Well, I, I think, you know, we were talking before that, uh, I mean, some of his earlier ones, especially, I think where they were just chock full of a lot of um, older, forgotten sort of pop rock gems, you can't do any better than Rushmore.
1: Yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah, Rushmore's my favorite too. Yeah, but yeah. I think the Royal Tenenbaums is very strong as well. Mm. Uh, that's one that... I've been very highly anticipating somebody to finally get it together and put it out in like a deluxe vinyl reissue because it, it's never been it's never been given a vinyl release before. Really, right?
2: This, this is the uh, record collector and record store owner yeah, speaking. Yeah, so I, that's definitely
1: <laughs> one I've been waiting for. There's some really good songs all throughout that movie. And Go of course,
0: ahead. those two films came out in succession. They and did. Rushmore was his yeah. first kind of like big film with more of a cast and more a budget, m- and more of a budget yeah. and everything. Bottle
1: Rocket came from a short film that he made and yeah. then somebody was like, here, make it into And there's a some feature. great stuff in that. I oh, mean, yeah. Love and... yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Bottle Rocket's a great movie, but yeah. Rushmore yeah. was the first one where he was like, okay, I am setting out to make a feature film. Mm-hmm. Somebody's gonna give me money to do it, let's go. I've right. got Bill Murray. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> right. uh-huh. And so,
2: the, and I remember that coming out, going to see it, And the soundtrack also coming out. And at the time, I was doing college radio. And so I got most of my music that way, or I'd get to listen to it. And I remember that soundtrack coming to the station before I even saw the movie. And that creation song, The Making Time, um, which they were not a band that I really knew. I had not done the sort of garage rock uh, exploration that that I've done to some extent since. And that was a revelation. I mean, it's just such a, I don't know, ferocious song just right out of the gate.
0: And even and that may, got me into the kinks, going back and listening. Right. To oh, yeah, the, he loves the, and, the kinks. Yeah.
1: yeah Lots yeah. of yeah. kinks. And, and, you
2: know, a lot of British stuff, right? Yeah. Like that, Chad and Jeremy, the um, uh, the Who, their, the Cat Stevens, yeah. a, a lot of these kind of British 60s, uh, you, it, sort of a weird thing. I mean, it came out in 98. So, I mean, this was mm-hmm. not necessarily a time that 60s British pop was at right. the forefront of everybody's mind. Not
0: that yeah, he and he was—I don't—he's one of those few guys. Um, Tarantino's kind of gotten away from this. Like that was with Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Those soundtracks were such a key part of those films and did so well, you know. And I would and say the that, use of, of music that's not contemporary to the the time that it's set yet—that that is part of the feel of those films. And Rushmore is so much like that. Yeah, in too.
1: I would say Tarantino did a good job of that too with Inglorious Bastards, the Bowie song. In yeah. that. Is just that I don't think anybody will use a Bowie song to the same effect that he uses Cat People and Inglorious Bastards. But if we're going to talk about Wes Anderson soundtracks, we really can't have that conversation without talking about the Life Aquatic because that whole thing is just Sue George, a Portuguese, you know, yeah, folk singer for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, doing David Bowie covers but singing in Portuguese the entire time and very different stylistically, and it gives a uh. Gives a very unique feel to that movie, but it's also it also grounds all of the music in the reality of the world because Sue George is a character in the film that you'll see playing one of right. the songs, and it'll pan down to whatever that scene was going to happen in that scene, or pan to what you know. So, Life Aquatic is huge, but I th- I think all of the music in Wes Anderson's movies are always just so spot on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was just looking over uh, the the soundtrack for Isle of Dogs to see. You know what actually is in there, and there is not much of the pop stuff. One of my uh, the song that they use in the in the trailer uh, from a band that I I find really interesting, an, another '60s band, the West Coast Pop Art experimental band. If you've seen the the trailer for the film, that's what's in that. But then there's also uh, music from uh, Seven Samurai, like we said, yeah. <laughs> and Drunken Angels, um, and then uh, Alexander depla depla depla. I can't how do I say his name.
2: Yeah, Desplat. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it's probably yeah. a French name, and I should be <laughs> more cognizant of is that. But, yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, it, it, it's more orchestral. Although yeah, it, there there is, is you know some of those other things, which which is kind of a trend. I mean, right? Some of those earlier films were really dominated by those pop songs.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: More and more, I'd say, since at least Moonrise Kingdom, we've gotten a lot more kind of classical score. orchestral um, score that's been done. So you know, there there's been some evolution there, but he's still it's interesting that he still, even in this film, sneaks in that kind of West Pop west coast pop art experimental band track that it's I think works well. Yes, but it <laughs> but it's out of place with the rest of the stuff in right. some ways. Yeah. Right. yeah. So Well, great. So it's been another great uh episode here. I think uh Yeah,
0: we wanna remind people to uh You can always find us at beerinamoviepodcast.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Just search Beer and a Movie Podcast, and hopefully you'll find us. There are some some people with similar names, but none quite like us.
1: Yeah, and then I believe you can find us on the uh, podcast app on Apple and probably Google Play and everything else as well. And if you do find us there, go ahead and rate and review and subscribe to the podcast because the feedback is always very useful.
0: Yeah. So uh, until next time, uh, I'm Ethan Thompson. I'm Dave Gurney. Carlos Cooper. With Seth Kaler on the ones and twos (laughs) or something like that. And we'll talk to you next time.